This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Jesus wept. That is the shortest scripture, I think, in all of the Bible. And I think if you ever had to memorize a scripture, like in Sunday school or something like that when you were a kid, that was always the one you chose. That is John 11.33. Don't worry, we will get into why I'm using that as a scripture of the day later on in this episode. But before we get into anything that we're going to be talking about today, I just wanted to remind you guys that we have a book list on our website. So it is the 100 books every modern Christian man should read list. Thousands of you have downloaded the list at this point. But I did want to remind you, this book, book list is being constantly updated. I say constantly about a half a dozen or so books are added to the list every year, which means about six uh, books are taken off. And that doesn't always necessarily mean that the books that are taken off are bad books or that, you know, I'm ashamed of them or something like that. But some books, you know, maybe are standing the test of time or, you know, I read it again or read it for the first time. And it's like, oh, it's not really that great because I did get some of the recommendations when I did the initial book list, you know, from other guys. And, you know, I just didn't really think it aligned with the rest of the list. But even in the last week, I added the book Shane. So that is the classic Western novel. I added that to the book list. And I also added The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. And so uh, I actually have an interview with him that I'll be releasing here in the next week or two. And so those were both added to the list. So guys, if you've not gotten the list, it's going to be in the show notes. You just go to undaunted.life backslash book list. So it's just undaunted.life backslash book list to get access to that. Also, just want to remind you, I announced this last week, but a lot of you guys ask about my speaking engagements. Hey, where am I going to be? When am I going to be speaking? Some of those events are not, you know, just open to the public, but I do have an open to the public event actually at my home church at Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma on Sunday, September the 18th at 6 p.m. Okay, so Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, Sunday, September the 18th at 6 p.m. If you're not too terribly familiar with this area, Edmond is just north of Oklahoma City, so that's how you can get to us. I'm going to be presenting live about how to engage pro-abortion arguments. So a lot of guys kind of struggle with, you know, how to deal with these arguments, how to push back and all those different things. I'm going to equip you with all those different things. There will be childcare that night. So if you've got kiddos, bring them and take care of business. I think that we're going to be doing a video of that. So I might be able to put it out there for you guys later or something like that. But again, Sunday, September the 18th at 6 p.m. at Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. So. Today, I I didn't intend to do all quick hitters because I figured the majority of my time would be spent on the FBI raid of Trump's residence in Mar-a-Lago. But as we'll talk about here in a minute, there's seemingly not a whole lot there for us to talk about at this point. So it's going to be all quick hitters today. So what we are going to discuss is the FBI raiding former President Donald Trump's home, Afghanistan on the one-year anniversary of the United States' withdrawal, the Albuquerque, (laughs) sorry, it's a hard word to say and hard word to spell. The Albuquerque serial killer that the mainstream media doesn't want you to know about. The U.S. military's inability to convince anyone to join the ranks. The CDC updates their COVID guidance, improves all of us right in the process. Dr. Fauci being the biggest egomaniac in history. And then some surprising wisdom from a surprising source. And that is the macho man, Randy Savage. So you'll have to hang with me to the end to figure out what that's about. But let's go ahead and get to the first one here. The FBI rating former President Donald Trump's home. And again, like I said, I thought I was going to be spending a whole lot of time on this today. I'll be spending more time on this than any of the other stories. But man, there's just like, there, there's not a whole lot there for us to go on. It looks like this is going to be uh, dragged out for a little bit. But this is according to the Daily Wire. 
Federal law enforcement officials removed nearly a dozen sets of classified information this week from uh, former President Donald Trump's Florida residence at Mar-a-Lago, according to a new report. The Wall Street Journal, which reviewed official documents related to the items that were removed from the property, reported that some of the materials removed were marked as top secret and meant to be only available in special government facilities. Fox News, which confirmed the report, said that the warrant gave permission to search the 45 office. That's because he was the 45th president of the United States, all storage rooms and all other rooms or areas within the premises used or available to be used by the former president of the United States and his staff in which the boxes or documents could be stored, including all structures or buildings on the estate. Guys, if that seems broad, it's because it is. Back to the report here. The report said that investigators recovered four sets of top secret documents, three sets of secret documents, and three sets of confidential documents. Investigators took approximately 20 boxes of items from the property, uh, double what had been previously reported after U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland approved the warrant to search the estate. Trump's response also, according to the Daily Wire, this is uh, going back into another thing here. Those will both be in the show notes. Trump responded on social media by claiming that all the material was declassified and that agents didn't need to seize anything. They could have had it anytime they wanted without playing politics and breaking into Mar-a-Lago, Trump said. It was a insecured storage and with additional lock put on it per their request. They could have had it anytime they wanted, and that includes long ago, Trump continued. All they had to do was ask. The bigger problem is, what were they going to do with the 33 million pages of documents, many of which are classified, that President Obama took to Chicago? So, you know, some shots fired there at Obama, because uh, apparently this is just a thing that presidents take these documents uh, back with them, maybe to their personal residences, uh, to their presidential libraries, whatever. So I have a lot of thoughts on this. So a lot of random thoughts. Let's just dig into it. There's so much disinformation and misinformation in this story, like a ridiculous amount. It's literally almost impossible to keep track of or follow because last week, as soon as this happened, I think this was last Tuesday or something like that. So by the time you listen to this, it'll be, you know, over a week ago. Um, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. Like this is banana republic stuff. This is what you would expect in a third world dictatorship or something like that. Like what exactly is going on? And I figured, okay, let's give it two, three days. Let's let the dust settle. And then I'll talk about it on the show. But two or three days passed and there was no big gotcha. There was no, okay, well, they, they released this evidence and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that they, they did that. You know, I'm so glad they recovered this. And then Merrick Garland, the attorney general came out and said that he was the one that personally said that this, uh, this could, this raid could go on and we got the warrant, but then the warrant didn't give us that much more information. There were people talking about, there was a, an informant inside the Trump, uh, the Trump team or something like that. Some people said that Trump stole these documents and refused to give them back, which he's denied. And then there's, this is the, the common one, which is, oh, he had documents with the nuclear codes on it. Okay. So just a quick aside on the nuclear code thing. That has always been the thing with Trump. And there's like, do you really want that crazy orange man to have the nuclear codes? How many times have you heard that to where it's like, do you guys think that that's just how it goes? That the president has a little note card with the nuclear codes on it and he can just waltz in to wherever the the nukes can be shot from and just push all these buttons in and all of a sudden we're shooting nukes at whoever we want to shoot them at? Like, and just think about how dumb that is because we currently have a dementia ridden president in the White House right now. Who could be told, hey, Joe, uh, don't shoot off the nuke, the nukes today, okay? Don't shoot off the nukes. I need you to repeat yourself. Oh, yeah, uh, don't shoot off the nukes. And then seven minutes later, he doesn't remember he's even the president of the United States, much less the thing that you told him not to do. So the nuclear cold thing is a little bit weird for me. Next kind of random thought is, if you believe the Biden White House had no idea that this was coming, you're a special kind of stupid. I just I just got to be honest. Like people are like, oh, like immediately uh, the press secretary for the White House came out. I was like, oh, we had no idea. We found out just at the same time everyone else did basically on the news and on Twitter and all those different things. I don't believe that for a single solitary minute. And again, 
I can't be proven wrong and I can't be proven. Well, I guess I can be proven right because we could find out that, you know, there was some correspondence that went there. But I just have I have no faith in the fact that the Biden administration was caught off guard by this. Also, imagine if the shoe were on the other foot here. I haven't seen too many people pointing this out, but imagine if the FBI raided President Obama's personal residence in Chicago during the Trump administration. I mean, they would have went apoplectic. It would have been like it would have been like someone had shot off the nukes, right? Because just imagine the, the what that would have looked like, right? And there would have been a racial narrative uh, put on there. There would have been this, you know, uh, you know, militarization of the Fed and all these different things. Like, just imagine if that would have been it. But here we are. It happened to Trump, so most people don't really care. It's kind of the thing. Also, this raid happened the same week. Right. This is crazy. The same week that the Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't actually do anything to reduce inflation, it's actually going to boost inflation, went into effect. Okay, And inside this act, it gave the federal government funding for 87,000 new RIS and RIS IRS agents, 87,000 new IRS agents. Okay, so more than doubling the current size of the IRS, making them bigger than most of the other you know, parts of the government combined. And I just don't see this as a coincidence because do you really assume that they are going to hire 87,000 new federal IRS agents so that they can go after billionaires and big companies? Like, no, that's way too many people to do the things that they, they purport they want to do. They're coming after middle-class people like you and me. Like that's exactly what's going to happen. And I just don't see this as a coincidence. Also, the FBI is seemingly Again, I don't want to besmirch anybody that's in the FBI community. I know there are some that listen to this show, but the FBI is seemingly the law enforcement arm of the political left now. It seems like they are here to target their enemies and ignore the people that they agree with or that they like. Again, they're targeting Trump here. But do you remember them raiding Hillary Clinton's personal residence because of all the stuff that went down with her email server? Right. The the destruction of government property, which was illegal and she wasn't allowed to do it. I don't remember that. What about, and again, a lot of people pointed out all these things, Jeffrey Epstein's client list. Why do we not have the names? Jeffrey Epstein's dead, according by, you know, supposedly by his own hand. And then we have his, you know, his other gal, she's in, she's in federal prison now and probably not going to make it very much longer. But what about the client list? Why haven't those places been raided? You know, the FBI didn't really look into the 2020 election to see if they could actually corroborate that Joe Biden is the rightful president, right? What about Hunter Biden's laptop? FBI can't seem to find enough information to make it worth their while to investigate that. A sitting member of Congress, Representative Eric Swalwell, who I believe is on the, uh, he's on some committee. I think it's like the Foreign Affairs Committee or, or the you know Home Defense Committee or something like that. I'm, I'm losing it right now. But he was having sexual relations with a Chinese spy. Confirmed. This person was a Chinese spy sleeping with a member of Congress. FBI is not breaking down his door. And also remember, the FBI ran with the Russia collusion hoax for years. I mean, it's really, really hard for me to call balls and strikes on this federal agency when it seems like they're only doing things that hurts people that are on the right side of the aisle. Also, here's the thing that, that I don't know that I've heard, I've seen anybody talk about, but how can we be sure that the FBI is not going to plant evidence? Because... This And again, this hasn't been corroborated, so we don't exactly know for sure. But apparently Trump's lawyer who was on site at Mar-a-Lago wasn't allowed to be in the room during the raid. They told her to leave. And they also demanded that the security cameras be turned off. Again, 
Where there's smoke, it doesn't always mean there's fire, but my goodness, how much smoke is there right here? They won't let Trump's lawyer be president, and they told him to turn the security cameras off? Now, we don't know if they actually did. We don't know if the Trump team actually has video of the raid or something like that. But man, wouldn't it be easy to plant some evidence here? And what would Trump's recourse be? What's he going to say? That wasn't in the box? Y'all put that there? Like, it's kind of hard to falsify that, right? And one thing that we've seen kind of in the wake of all this is the majority of Republicans and independents believe that this was a politically motivated raid, that the federal government was used as a political arm to do this for political reasons. And the majority of Democrats do not. Okay. Which it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, but I would ask Democrats to think, yeah, this wasn't politically motivated. Trump's obviously a criminal. I'm glad they did the raid. Why was the information about the raid leaked to the New York times within minutes of the raid beginning? Think about that. How, how did that information get leaked to the New York Times if this wasn't political? Just think through that a little bit more. Also, it is very interesting to see this is just a quick aside. All these defund the police people, especially the ones on Twitter, they loved the fact that federal police did this to Trump. I find that to be delicious, right? We can't have police in any of our inner cities, you know, keeping people from getting murdered or drug deals or any of those types of things. But Dadgummit, let's make sure we have a few dozen federal troopers, you know, federal police officers go in and raid Trump's personal residence. Yeah, that's a great idea. Also, to the Trump supporters out there, now I'm going to be a little bit critical here, so just, you know, get your big boy pants on. The ones that are out there now screaming that we need to get Trump back in the White House in 2024 so he can, quote unquote, drain the swamp, okay? Uh, guys, I would, I would like to remind you that we, as the American public, already elected him once, and the size of the swamp grew. Remember? Drain the swamp, lock her up, build that wall. Like, that's just a list of things that didn't get done in the four years that Trump promised all those things would get done. So are you really advocating to get the guy back into the White House that failed to do what he said he was going to do the first time as it pertained to the swamp? I, I, I just don't really buy that. Also, there's been a theory that's kind of been floating around that I tend to agree with, and it's that the Fed did this because the January 6th committee has been a dud. And I say it's been a dud because there have been no grand aha moments that have come from the January 6th hearings, like at all. And it has not swayed the public's opinion on Donald J. Trump one bit. And that's largely due to the fact that no one on the planet, essentially, certainly in America, has a neutral view on Donald Trump. Nobody. They love him or they hate him. Nobody's in the middle at this point, right? They support him vehemently or they, they don't want him anywhere near power ever again. And so the January 6th hearings were supposed to be this big expose on how, you know, the Donald Trump administration knew this was going to happen, that they coordinated with all these white supremacist groups to storm the Capitol and blah, blah, and all these things. And again, I was, I'm very unhappy with January 6th and all the things that Trump did during that, but I don't believe there's any evidence whatsoever to say that he colluded with people to have them storm the Capitol. Again, he said he wanted them to go over there and peacefully protest, and that's not how it ended up going down, right? But if January 6th isn't working... You know, the Fed maybe needs to ratchet this up a little bit because they're seemingly very, very fearful that this guy's going to be back in power at some point. And I don't think it's because they really love the idea of a constitutional republic. Another thing I want to talk about is a lot of people have been saying this, that this may galvanize support behind Trump. Like this may be the thing that guarantees that he runs again, right? Some people think, you know, maybe he was 50 50 uh, before all this, but now he's 100% dedicated to running again. And they think that's going to galvanize all these Republicans that are a little bit squishy on Trump and independence behind Trump. But I have a different viewpoint. 
I actually think this might be an enormous win for co-president Biden. And I'll tell you why. Because I do think that this is galvanizing support behind Trump. I think this is going to give him the motivation. I don't think he was ever really like trying to figure out if he was going to run again in 2024. I think that was always a foregone conclusion. But let's say he was on the fence and now he's definitely going to run. If he runs, he beats everybody else in the Republican primary, right? Even though I'm, I really would like to see DeSantis run. And like I've said before, not just DeSantis, I would see a bevy of other, you know, Republican candidates get out there in front of people and run. But I don't think anybody has what it takes to overtake Trump and overtake all the MAGA people that will support Trump. I just don't see that happening. And if that's the case, then Joe Biden wins again, right? If he runs, but as I've said on this, this show before, and I'm open to being proven wrong, if Joe Biden runs again, or if he steps aside and Kamala Harris runs, or Gavin Newsom runs, or certainly Michelle Obama, or Pete Buttigieg, or any other people that the Democrats could put up, no matter how awful or how terrible they are, I got to be really, really honest with you. Like he loses, Donald Trump loses. Okay. And so I think that this could actually be a really good thing for Biden because if Trump decides to run, I think he is the foregone conclusion as the Republican representative in 2024. And he's very, very beatable, right? We saw that Joe Biden basically didn't even campaign. He sat in his basement for months and months and months and became the president of the United States. And that was before January 6th. Again, think what you want to think about January 6th. But the majority of the U.S. population thinks that that was an unbelievable thing, that it was a coup attempt, right? So it may galvanize support behind Trump, but that could be a great thing for Joe Biden and his crew. And the last thing I guess I'll, I'll talk about here before we go to the big takeaway is this is going to be in the news cycle for a very, very long time, guys. So if you love following news cycle stories that stay in the news cycle for months and months and months on end, get ready because this is right up your alley because we're going to see a huge and lengthy legal battle between the United States government and Trump now. And who the heck knows how that's going to work out, but it's going to cost tons and tons of money. And again, the U.S. government is going to be fighting against Trump here using your tax dollars. So, so there is that thing. But let's go to the big takeaway here on this story. As of right now, it looks like the quote unquote deep state that everybody's so scared of. It looks like it really does exist. And it really looks like it is targeting Donald Trump. Okay. And this is a very, very important question for all of you to reckon with. But if they can target a former president of the United States, what do you think they can do to you? Like there are very few people on the planet that have more power sway and influence than a former United States president. And they just basically kicked his door down and said, Hey, you can't stop us. And there's some people that think that the warrant that was issued in this case was, was way too broad, a violation of the fourth amendment, which could end up being true because warrants like this have to be very, very specific. If you're doing a raid, you have to know what room you're going to be looking in, what file cabinet you're looking for and all those different things. But this was a very, very broad, uh, warrant. To where they could basically just walk around Mar-a-Lago and just kind of like look through whatever they wanted to look through. So if they can do that to Trump, if you've maybe made some mistakes on your taxes or you've been a little bit withholding on, on some of your taxes, no pun intended, like what do you think they can do with you and your personal residence? What if down the line there are way more anti-gun people that are in the government, right? What happens if they kick your door down and they're going to look for all your firearms? Just to, you know, make sure, obviously, that they're, they're all registered to you and that they're all being held safely and blah, blah, We just want to check and make sure. Like, none of that is off the table here. So, so there are a lot of things to take away from this story. To be honest with you guys, unless something big happens on this story, I'm probably not going to mention again until we have some sort of absolution on this. And unfortunately, I just don't think that's going to be coming for a very long time.
All right, next quick hitter here. Afghanistan on the one-year anniversary of the United States' withdrawal. So um, if you weren't aware, on the 15th, so that would be Monday. So uh, yeah, so on the 15th, so this, if you're listening to this on time, this was yesterday, August the 15th, is the one-year anniversary of when the Taliban overtook Kabul when the United States had to get all their ambassadors out of the out of the, the way. And, you know, the United States wasn't completely out at that point, but Afghanistan had fallen by the 15th of August. So this is according to Holly McKay on her sub stack, and this will be in the show notes, obviously. It's been a year since the U.S. finally withdrew from Afghanistan on August the 30th after occupying the country for more than two decades. The Biden administration's hasty removal of U.S. troops led to chaotic scenes at Kabul's international airport with Afghans clamoring to leave before the Taliban took over. At least 170 people and 13 American service members were killed by twin ISIS-K suicide bombs at the airport gates. And while more than 100,000 Afghans were airlifted out of the country, it is believed that up to 80,000 Afghan allies who worked in some capacity to support the United States mission are still left in limbo. And guys, I don't want to take any of her thunder, but uh, she does read this on her dispatch. So if you search dispatch, dispatches with Holly McKay in your podcast feed or something like that, you can get on there, but also you can get on the Substack and read the rest of it. But there are a bevy of problems that were left behind when the United States decided that it just wasn't worth it anymore for them to stay in whatever other motivations there were. So essentially, women's ha- women have no rights again. Okay, so you see these women that are basically begging for food on the street, head to toe covered in burqas and, and different things like that. It's horrible for women right now in Afghanistan. And for girls specifically, they can't go to school again, right? Because in this culture, again, we're not supposed to compare cultures. This culture is better than that culture. But in that culture, they don't believe that girls should be educated at all. So, yeah, I think it's okay for me to say that our culture is better than their culture. Also, Afghanistan's economy right now is almost completely propped up by foreign aid which doesn't bode well for their currency, doesn't bode well for anything. There are a lot of people right now that are using the majority of their money to buy food. And most Afghans, as we see now from statistics and reports from on the ground, they barely have enough money for food, barely have enough money for food. And this is another set that I found was crazy. I think this was from Holly's report, but around 90% of Afghanistan's health clinics are closed now. They were open a year ago, but they're closed down now because of lack of funds. So there was a big earthquake that happened over there in Afghanistan. It's like, okay, yeah, when it rains, it, it absolutely pours, but there was a big earthquake. You know, a lot of people died, a lot of people were injured, and they couldn't even really treat the people that were injured over there because they didn't have the funds for it. Because the Taliban, and this is the other thing, when your country is run by an Islamist, you know, fundamentalist terrorist organization like the Taliban, can you assume that they're going to be getting all of that aid to the appropriate places and appropriate people? Of course not. So the big takeaway here, because I know a lot of people are going to be talking about it this week, and I don't want to necessarily steal any of their thunder. This is already a distant memory for many of us, the the fall of Afghanistan and our withdrawal, but it shouldn't be. And I constantly remind you guys of this because you're going to see it in the news cycle this week for a day or two, because we're going to be at the one year anniversary, and then we're going to forget about it again. Because Trump's going to say something in public, or some celebrity's going to die, or some celebrity breakup's going to happen, or your favorite team's going to lose their best player, something like that's going to happen, and we're not going to be thinking about this anymore. But we need to be thinking about this. Because all those people over there in Afghanistan that are suffering right now, they are made in the image of God, whether they believe in God and in the Judeo-Christian ethic or not. And we should want those people to be protected and cared for, right? And that's something that the United States was doing, and now we're not. So we basically created this quagmire, we created this situation, and then we just decided to pull out and, uh, you know, we'll just kind of let the chips fall where they may. But unfortunately, most of those chips caught fire 
and it's been terrible for the people of Afghanistan. But also, this is a monument to horrifically bad leadership. So it starts with co-president Biden because he's in charge of the entire federal government and this response. So ultimately, the buck has to stop somewhere. And so it stops with him, even though he's not even sentient enough to be able to make a call left or right on anything. But also, all the generals, all of our generals and, you know, higher ups in the military that will be getting promotions along the way that when they retire, will get these plush cush jobs with military contractors, will be on boards of directors, will be getting paid oddly high amounts of money to give speeches. We have to remember that the lack of leadership that was shown and the lack of fortitude shown by these men is causing the detriment of hundreds of thousands of people in the country of Afghanistan. And we can't ignore that. All right, next quick hitter here, the Albuquerque, New Mexico serial killer that the mainstream media doesn't want you to know about. So this is according to the New York Times. For days, the news that someone might be killing Muslim men in Albuquerque spread fear among the city's Muslim residents. And, and to be honest, as an aside, Muslim residents of the entire country. Okay, but back into it here. Some of whom were so afraid of becoming the next target that they fled town or hunkered down in their homes. On Tuesday, this was Tuesday last week, the police said that they had arrested a man who was himself Muslim and who had been who had targeted at least two of the victims because he was angry that his daughter had married a man from the other branch of Islam. The police said the man, Muhammad Saeed, 51, would be charged in two of the killings and that he was a suspect in the other two deaths. Ahmad said the president of the Islamic Center of New Mexico, a mosque with that at least three of the victims had attended, said that he understood that the authorities were looking at the possibility that the suspect was a Sunni Muslim who may have been motivated by resentment over a marriage to a Shiite Muslim. Okay, so let's get right into the big takeaway here on this story. And the big takeaway is a question. Have you heard about this story? I mean, honestly, I know a lot of you guys are big news cycle people. So you've got your Twitter feeds and you've got your Fox News or your CNNs or your MSNBCs or your, your you know, Daily Wire podcast and your this podcast, that podcast, NPR, whatever. Have you heard of this story? Because I can't remember where I heard about it, but I think it was a random person that like posted it on, on Twitter and they linked to the New York Times article. And I was shocked that the New York Times even you know ran a story on this and all those things. Because here's the thing. It is a sensational story. I mean, in a bad way, not sensational in a great way. It is a very sensational story in terms of headlines and gathering a lot of attention because it's about a serial killer targeting a specific group of people that are aligned with a pol or a religious ideology, Muslims. I mean, that is a crazy story. I mean, if there's a serial killer that is targeting Muslims or Christians or Hindus or Sikhs or insert your favorite or least favorite religion here. Like that's a crazy story. That's a big, big story. So why is it that the majority of the mainstream media is not covering it as such? And my contention is, is because the facts of the case in the story don't fit the desired narrative. And here's the narrative. White supremacist violence is the biggest problem we now face on the home front. As I was just talking about our generals earlier when we were talking about Afghanistan. They've literally said that. They've gone on record and said things like that. That we don't need to be worried about Islamic terrorism anymore. It's white supremacist violence that's homegrown, right? We've seen people in the federal government right now in this current administration that are saying that over and over and over. And just like that, I mean, boom, just like that, this story disappeared. So there was a little bit of a groundswell, like, man, you know, four Muslims have been killed in this one area. Like, who's going around and doing it? And you got to know. 
that the people at Vox and Washington Post and the New York Times and CNN and all these other places, they were hoping, I know this is impugning motive and narrative and all that kind of stuff, but they were hoping that this was a white supremacist, MAGA wearing, MAGA hat wearing, you know, guy going around with his AR-15 murdering Muslims. They were hoping to God, because again, that's another thing you can wrap around Donald Trump's neck, but then you can target all Republicans and all of a sudden every Republican on the planet is going to have a microphone stuck in their face. They're going to say, hey, do you agree with this person that has a conservative viewpoints, uh, basically talking about all these different things from a white supremacist point of view and then targeting brown people for murder, right? And then all of a sudden they have to talk about it when the fact is that most Democrats don't have to talk about things that happen negatively from their side, but that's apparently neither here nor there. But again, this is an incredible story, right? I'm glad they found this guy. I'm glad they've stopped him. I'm glad the authorities have done that. But it does kind of reveal this unbelievable misunderstanding or just ununderstanding of how people operate and think inside of the Muslim community. I know I hate saying the community, but yes, the Muslim community. They have no idea about the divide between Sunnis and Shias and how many centuries that goes back and why these people tend to hate each other why they're willing to fight wars against one another, why they're willing to kill one another. And another thing, and I think Albert Moeller uh, pointed this out on his show on Monday, Islam is, he wasn't talking about this specific story, but Islam is a honor religion, whereas Christianity is not. We are under no uh, compunction to defend Jesus of Nazareth, personally. We're not. But that is the exact compunction with Muslims. That's why you can't even draw pictures of Muhammad. When people said, hey, we're going to have a Muhammad, you know, drawing contest or something like that. Those people were attacked by terrorists or were attacked by, you know, Muslim zealots or something like that. It's because these people take it very, very seriously because it comes directly from their ideology and it comes from the bloodiest chapter and the surah of the Quran, which is the ninth surah. I would encourage all of you to go online right now, Google, you know, Quran and go to the ninth surah and just read through it. It's the least abrogated surah and most violent surah, the last surah that Muhammad supposedly gave to the people uh, to kind of create this religion of Islam, right? So these people are not extremists. These people are fundamentalists. And so this particular guy found it honorable to kill these men because he was angry that, you know, someone, I think, well, what was this, his daughter or something like that? I already forgot what they said in the story, but that this particular person was so mad as a Sunni that there would be somebody that would marry a Shiite. So you guys have to understand that. On my book list that I talked about from the top of the show, I have two books by Nabil Qureshi, the late Nabil Qureshi, who was a Muslim that turned into a Christian. So one is called No God But One. That's a more academic comparison of Islam and Christianity. And then he's got his memoir, which is Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And so he gets into both of those about the differences. So I highly, highly recommend those two books from our book list. All right, next quick hitter here, the United States military's inability to convince anyone to join their ranks. So this is according to NBC News. Every branch of the U.S. military is struggling to meet its fiscal year 2022 recruiting goals, say multiple U.S. military and defense officials. And numbers obtained by NBC News show both a record low percentage of young Americans eligible to serve and an even tinier fraction willing to consider it. Last month, Army Chief of Staff General James McConville testified before Congress that only 23% of Americans ages 17 to 24 are qualified to serve without a waiver to join, down from 29% in recent years. An internal department or Defense Department survey obtained by NBC News found that only 9% of those young Americans eligible to serve in the military had any inclination to do so, the lowest number since 2007. So in this story, as you've heard people kind of report on this, There are the reasons that are given for this phenomenon, 
And then there's the real reasons, right? So let's get into the given reasons. The first one is given is obesity, right? Our kids are way too fat, which is obviously and completely true. Then we have drug use. These kids can't get through the screening without a waiver because they've used drugs, right? And they're honest about it, right? A lot of our kids are using drugs. Also criminal records. A lot of our young people have a criminal record and they can't join the military because of that. But also people have mentioned the growth of the civilian military divide. As we've heard about from a lot of people, a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the United States population serves in the armed services. And so there is this divide where it's like, okay, that's something that they're doing. That's their job. I have nothing to do with that. Whereas in previous generations, the civilians in the military were more intertwined than they are today. So those are the given reasons, but I want to go into the real reasons. Okay. So let's get into what I see as some of the real reasons for this. The first thing is this. Young people are being told that this country is awful, that it's racist, that it's colonialist, that it's bigoted, that it's terrible, right? So why would you sign up to fight and potentially die for an evil country like the United States of America? Again, our young people are getting a steady diet of that narrative. And so... If someone turns around and says, hey, you should join the army. Well, is there a chance I'll die? Yeah. Well, why would I sacrifice for you guys? Like you're propagating, you know, systemic racism or just make up any number of other issues that don't actually exist. Right. That's a problem. Also, young patriots, right? The, the patriotic among us, right? In the, the young ones, they don't want to volunteer for a force that's going to force wokeness down their throats. They don't want to join the military and then have to put their pronouns in their, you know, email signatures. They don't want to have to join the military so that they can, you know, get some quota. Hey, they, they happen to be a person of color who has two lesbian moms. And so they're going to join the military like that. That is where all the advertising is going for. And so we're missing out on all these people from flyover country, all these young patriots that would love to serve their country that are now on the fence. Like, man, I don't know that I'd really want to serve right now. And, and look at, People that were in the military basically saying, yeah, I don't know if I would want my son or daughter to serve like that. That's a, a big deal. And also that really gets into the next point, which is that patriotic families, they're not encouraging their children to join. And it's partially due because of the inept military leadership that I've talked about now, what, three times on this show? When you have your generals and, and your colonels and all these other different people so inept and maybe corrupt even. And if you're a patriotic family, like my wife and I are very, very patriotic people. And we have two sons. Like I would not personally be disappointed if they decide to go to a military academy or to, to, you know, enlist or any of those different things. I wouldn't be disappointed in it. But right now, man, I've got some issues with that because could they be sent to fight and die for some sort of war that didn't need to happen? And you know, something that we didn't even need to be there for. You have a lot of patriotic families that are having that conversation now and they weren't before. Also as a culture, as a society, we expect very, very little from our young people and they tend to live up to those low expectations. And sometimes they, they land well short of those low expectations. And so when you expect so little of an entire group of non-homogenous people, how can you be shocked when a lot of them don't want to join the United States military? It's this, I mean, this isn't that hard. And the last thing before the big takeaway on this one is that parents and young people are scared of their kids or themselves not coming back from war at all or coming back messed up physically and or mentally. Because for the last two decades, you know, we've seen a tremendous amount of support and outpouring of love to our veteran community, which I absolutely find fantastic. But also we've seen, and these kids have seen 
you know, a lot of people with missing limbs coming back. A lot of people with PTSD were constantly reminded about the number of veterans that commit suicide and the number of veterans that have been killed via suicide as compared to the number that were killed in Iraq or Afghanistan. Obviously, suicides far outweigh that, and that will only continue to be exacerbated as we've been out of these conflicts. Okay, so parents are terrified for their children. So they're not saying, yeah, you should enlist. I think that's a great idea because they're scared. And, you know, what parent wouldn't be scared? And also the young people, like they want to come back. Like if they serve, they don't want to get messed up. They don't want to, you know, have PTSD. They don't want to have any of these mental issues. They don't want to get blown up. They don't want to have a bunch of metals stuck in their body. They don't want to, you know, have cancer caused by burn pits or whatever other situation is coming along the, uh, you know, along the path or something like that. So I, I think that those are all big things that people are really looking through. And those are kind of the real reasons. So my big takeaway on this story is I don't see this changing anytime soon. And that is a bad thing for the entire free world. A lot of people hate this. And I got a guy coming on the show here in a couple of weeks and, you know, he's very anti-war and all those different things. And, you know, we had a good conversation about that, but the United States is the dominant global hegemon. We are. And when the United States is weak, it is bad for a lot of other places in the world. Again, we just discussed Afghanistan a little while ago on this show. The United States showed weakness and lack of leadership and a lack of forethought. And it's led to the tremendous plight of the Afghan people. And it's going to cause so many more issues into the future. And hopefully we can remember that as the jumping off point for a lot of those bad things. But do you see something in the generation coming after Gen Z that there's this overwhelming patriotism coming from this group? No. A lot of the problems that we've already talked about are going to be exacerbated. Technology is going to become more a part of these kids' lives, so they will tend to get fatter. Their families will continue to feed them garbage that was made in a factory that's basically not even food, and they will continue to get fatter. Our kids are going to continue to see drugs as this positive thing, like, hey, let's, you know, we need to illegalize all these drugs. We need to decriminalize these drugs because of all these things. You have kids that are going to be smoking weed, which is horrifically terrible for kids whose brains aren't fully developed. And it's mainly terrible for a bevy of adults as well. Like, it doesn't do great things for the mind. And so all these kids are going to be on these drugs. Right. You have kids that are getting hooked on op opioids. You have you have all these horrible outcomes. Do you see a positive here for the future of the United States military? Now, one thing I think the U.S. could immediately start doing is if they got all the woke crap, all the DEI crap out of the military, I think that would help almost immediately. There aren't a whole lot of like just switches that can be flipped in this particular situation, but that's one of them. The military can't solve the fatherlessness issue. The military can't necessarily solve the, the, the issue with overall patriotic feelings in America or any of those things. But they can say, you know what? If you want to fight, come here and fight. And that's it. I don't care if, if you have a nose ring. I don't care if your parents come from a particular part of the globe or, you know, particular persuasion or whatever. I don't care. You want to fight? We're going to teach you how to fight. And if you're a young man, we're going to teach you how to be a man. That's the military I want to see anyway. All right, next quick hitter here, and this one will probably make you mad if you haven't heard about it already. The CDC, the Centers for Disease Control here in the U.S., updates their COVID guidance and proves all of us right in the process. So this is according to Yahoo News. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention unveiled significant changes last Thursday as part of a sweeping effort to overhaul the agency's COVID-19 guidance. The guidance acknowledges that the pandemic is not over, but also helps us move to a point where COVID-19 is no longer severely disrupting our everyday lives, CDC's Greta Massetti said in a statement announcing the changes. Among the biggest differences in the new recommendations are as follows. The CDC's COVID-19 prevention guidance will no longer differentiate 
by whether people are up to date on their vaccinations. Testing to screen for COVID-19 will no longer be recommended in most places for people who do not have COVID symptoms. The CDC says people who have tested positive for COVID-19 can stop wearing masks if their symptoms have improved and they test negative twice in a row initially on the sixth day after their infection began, and then again on the eighth day. And the CDC says that to limit social and economic impacts, quarantine of exposed persons is no longer recommended regardless of vaccination status. I mean, astonishing. Astonishing. In addition to all of that also listed in this new guidance is that students in school, remember those schools that we had to shut down to protect the children? Students can stay in class after being exposed to the virus. Now, guys, now, guys, I know what you might be thinking. Kyle, this is great news. This, is, this obviously means that there have been some kind of breakthrough with the vaccine. Obviously, you know, some kind of miracle has happened with therapeutics. You know, perhaps we've even rid the entire world of COVID. To that, I say no such luck, like not by any stretch of the imagination. Because you know how we know that? Because the basis of the guidance change that was just announced last week had nothing at all to do with a single study or any cited data. None. They literally did not announce a single thing from a reputable study or data source. They just magically, just like that, changed the guidance. All of a sudden, the guidance is different. So let's go back to the article here. Massetti told reporters Thursday that the recommendations are being revised to simplify the myriad of federal COVID-19 guidance into an easier framework. So let's talk about that. Guys, it's not just an easier framework. It's a different framework altogether. Again, if you had listed any of those things earlier that I told you about, that could have got you banned from social media. Like if you basically say, yeah, just, you know, kind of do your own thing. If you get this, don't really worry about it. Or, and again, they didn't cite like, oh, we have evidence now to suggest that we can make all these changes. None of that's in there. Back to the article again. It's really about kind of how people can understand how all of these components fit together. It starts with people understanding their own personal risk for serious illness and that of their loved ones, Massetti said. So I would like to just give a nice little slow clap. Thank you to the CDC for saying what we've literally known all along, but have been discouraged to practice. And that is people can make up their own minds regarding their personal health. We do not need the federal government telling us how to care for ourselves or how we evaluate our own personal risk for illness or anything otherwise. But what an unbelievable statement from the CDC. It starts with people understanding their own personal risk for serious illness and that of their loved ones. Yeah. Tell that to the people whose family members died alone in a nursing home or hospital facility and they couldn't even send them off. They couldn't hold their hand while they took their last breath because of you, the CDC, because of you, because of your guidance. And if you said, hey, we're really, really sorry about that. There's nothing that we could do to overcome what we did. That was the, the information, the data we have at the time. We're smarter now. We've got more information. We hate that that happens like it, that that happened back in the day. No, none of that was said. 
And none of that at all was said. And guys, don't you forget this. Don't you forget that this happened. Again, how many of you know someone personally that could not say goodbye to a loved one, to a spouse, to a brother, to a mother or father or grandfather or grandmother because of the CDC saying, nope, we have to have complete quarantine. We can only have, you know, approved, you know, medical hospital staff there with all the PPE. But you, yeah, you, you can't say goodbye to your dad. I'm sorry. Again, I talked about this whenever my boy JC, you know, JC from uh, my foxhole, whenever his dad died of COVID, I think I said this on there, so I shouldn't be getting anybody in trouble. There were nurses on staff that snuck him in to his father's room so he could say goodbye. They broke protocol, probably could have lost their jobs if anybody had, had found out about it and got him into the room so he could give his father the dignity of being able to say goodbye to his son and so that he could say goodbye to him. It took somebody risking their livelihood for that to happen because of the CDC. And now they just change it. And isn't the timing really interesting here? Because first of all, it's right as school is starting back. Why didn't they announce this two months ago? Again, no data changed. No new information came in. Why didn't they announce this in January or April or June or any time before, right before back to school? Oh, we just wanted to, you know, streamline this and make it easier. Is that it? Is that it? Or could it have to do with the next bit of interesting timing and that this is right before the primaries or sorry, right after the primaries and right before the midterms. So they got through the primary season and, you know, their announcement could have affected some different people's races. And now we're on to the midterms. Again, sometimes things are coincidences and sometimes they're not. And gosh, dang it. I don't think this is a coincidence by any stretch of the imagination. And again, all those things that I listed earlier, you know, hey, make your own decisions. Hey, we shouldn't be telling our kids that they can't go back to school for two weeks because, you know, they were around somebody that had the COVID sniffles for half a second or something like that. All that stuff could have got you kicked off of social media. And the problem is, is those things were true the entire time, but the CDC just didn't want to acknowledge it. And that leads to the big takeaway on this story. Guys, this was never about public safety. It was about control. Again, I'm not some sort of COVID conspiracy theorist. No, this was released on purpose by the Chinese for some sort of global domination ploy and all these different things. Like, I know there's a lot of crap that, that's going on behind the scenes that we will likely never know about, about the vaccines, about the money that's going around and all those different things. But this was never about public safety. This was never about protecting grandma. This was about top-down totalitarian control from governments all around the globe. And to that, I do see some collusion, right? Because when one country, Sweden, is the only one that's like, yeah, we're not locking down. We're not locking down the entire society. We're not telling kids that they can't go to school until we feel comfortable with the fact that they're going to school. It was about control. And as I've said a lot of times on this podcast, on other interviews that I've done and everywhere that somebody gives me a microphone, it's not about this push. It's about the next push. It's always about the next push. So for churches out there that were really, really concerned when their local magistrates were basically telling them when, where, how, and if they would be able to worship, it wasn't really that bad this time, right? Yet some guys, you know, some John MacArthur's and all that, some lines that were actually standing in the gap and pushing back against that darkness. But this isn't the big one. Again, we're a couple of months away from flu season, guys. And remember what I said about flu season, that if you're going to lock down schools and keep your kids out of school and make them wear a mask and make them get a vaccine every year for something that has a lower death rate for children than the flu, well, what if there's a big time flu outbreak? We shutting down schools again? Are you taking your kids out of school? 
Are you going to be okay with the university or, or the, you know, the high school or whatever, making your kid that's in band wear a mask that has the mouth and nose part cut out so that they can play their woodwind instrument? Are you going to be cool with all that? Because a large percentage of our population is cool with that. And the powers that be know that now. They know how far they can push before they get pushed back. And they know that the next time they push, they can push a little bit farther than they did the time before. And it's going to be right for the taking for them. All right, next quick hitter here, and this goes with the last one. Dr. Anthony Fauci might be the biggest egomaniac in history. Now, you can probably talk about some other egomaniacs, maybe Julius Caesar, Napoleon, something like that. But Fauci, my goodness, last week, and someone needs to get this guy a mirror, okay? So he was doing an interview in front of a live audience. It was a small venue. To be honest, I didn't spend a lot of time trying to figure out what it was about or why he was there because I frankly do not care. But he and the, inter- this, was, this was crazy, the optics, because this literally happened last week. He and the interviewer were unmasked on the dais, basically, you know, talking back and forth in their comfy chairs. Everyone else in the crowd is masked, <laughs> like all of them. But Fauci and the guy that, you know, is interviewing him and they're in close contact within six feet of one another don't have to wear a mask. Okay. So let's actually go to the clip here because I want you to hear what this guy had to say. It's called the Fauci effect, which is sort of like, you know, as trust me, I'm, I, I don't get excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's nice, but I mean, it's, it's I, I, people go to medical school now, people are interested in science, not because of me, because people, most people don't know me, who I am. My friends know me, my wife knows me, but people don't know me. It's what I symbolize. And what I symbolize in, a, in an era of the normalization of untruths and lies and, and all the things you're seeing going on in society from January 6th to everything else that goes on, people the craving for consistency, for integrity, for truth, and for people caring about people. So there's a lot of stuff to break down there, but let me just get into some specifics in case you missed it. So he says, it's called the Fauci effect. It's called the Fauci effect. No, 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 (laughs) no. It's not called that. He called it that. No one on the planet said the Fauci effect before Anthony Fauci decided that that was going to be a thing. It's kind of like when someone gives themselves their own nickname. It's a little bit weird, even if it's a cool nickname, but it's kind of cooler when someone else gives you the nickname, like that kind of makes a whole lot more sense, but it's called the Fauci effect, like giving your name to this thing that is overwhelmingly positive. But also he thinks that people are going, he honestly thinks that people are going to go to medical school so they can be like Dr. Fauci someday. Kind of like when you were a little kid. And you were dribbling in the driveway and putting up some jump shots because you thought you were going to be Michael Jordan someday, or you're out there, you know, throwing the ball around because, you know, someday I'm going to be Aaron Rodgers or whatever, right? That's what he thinks. He thinks little kids are watching CNN and reading the Washington Post thinking, man, I really want to be like Dr. Fauci someday. I, you know, I'm going to work really hard in school so I can get into medical school so I can be like Dr. Fauci. Really? Really? You self-serving narcissistic weirdo. But also, the, the biggest and richest thing of all this, aside from the fact that he called it the Fauci effect, what a tool. He thinks that this is a symbol of integrity and truth. He thinks that he himself, rather, is a symbol of integrity and truth. To which point you would need to ask yourself, how many times since the beginning of 2020 has Dr. Fauci said something 
only to go back on it and renege it later. How many times? I have lost count. And everyone has lost count. Like that is the reality of where we're at right now. So when you talk about integrity and truth, but truth keeps shifting around and you're not basing your presentation of that truth on any data or any new discovery, then why should we take you seriously? But again, he thinks he's a symbol of integrity and truth. And the big takeaway on this, because I need to stop talking about because he makes me so mad. Why did we ever listen to this person? And I'm going to go and answer the question that I just asked you. Because we thought he was legit. When he was coming up there and when all of us were terrified. And again, don't, don't do this revisionist history. You were scared. I was scared. Everybody was scared of COVID. You were scared that you were going to walk past somebody in public and get these, you know, cooties that were flying through the air and that it was going to kill you and your entire family. Right? You thought that COVID lived on surfaces because they told us it lived on surfaces. There are people still today that think that COVID lives on surfaces. That if you have COVID and you lick a countertop, that somehow the next person a week from now is going to brush their elbow up against that countertop and they're going to get COVID and probably die from it. There are still people that believe that. But we listen to Dr. Fauci because we want to believe the experts. We want to. We want them to be smarter than us. We want them to take care of us. We want them to, to, to have our best interests at heart. We want that so desperately. So we're willing to go along to get along. We're willing to go along with some of the things that they're saying, even if they don't quite sound right. Even if we don't really agree with it, even if it doesn't seem to make sense, we just go with it. But here's a great example, guys, of when you follow someone like that and there's nothing with which to base checking them, right? So I'm all for you following a pastor as they follow Christ, right? But we've been given the Bible, right? We've been given this unbelievable document that we can have in our hands and have on our phones and have on our desktops and all these different things so that we can check what they're saying. So if they misquote scripture or they exegete it improperly, we can call them on it. And we should. If they're all eisegesis and no exegesis, if they're just reading things into the text and, you know, taking their TED talk and back ending, you know, some scripture into it, we can call them out for it. But with a guy like Anthony Fauci, you're not a scientist. And that's how they can control you. Hey, 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 I'm the science. I'm Dr. Fauci. Just listen to me. Like I'm integrity and I'm truth. That's what we were supposed to get. Right. Just keep that in mind as we move forward in the future. All right. Now we got the last quick hitter. So this is a great place to leave it on because we got some surprising wisdom from a surprising source last week. And that was from the one and only the macho man, Randy Savage. Now I'm a huge or was when I was a kid, I was a huge pro wrestling fan. So I grew up in the era, you know, when Hulk Hogan was coming up and what was that WrestleMania three, where he body slammed Andre, the giant and macho man, Randy Savage and Superfly Jimmy Schnooka and like, you know, big boss man. And you know, all that stuff like that was the era I kind of grew up in ultimate warrior, Bret Hart, like all, all those guys. And I saw Macho Man trending on Twitter. Now, for those of you that don't know, Macho Man Randy Savage died years and years and years ago. I think he had a heart attack while he was driving his car, drove into a tree, died pretty much instantly. You know, sad story for that guy. You know, anyway, so the guy passed away. So typically when somebody that's dead is trending on Twitter, it's almost always negative, right? So John Wayne will trend on Twitter because we like, can you believe what John Wayne said in an interview back in 1952? Or like, that's kind of the thing, right? Like it's, we're, we're post death canceling these people as if that's going to affect anyone except for their loved ones. It's not going to affect the person. They're dead. They're worm food, right? But 
I got to set up this clip because I saw that he was trending on Twitter and then I clicked on the story. So this was a clip, a little like 45 second clip from the Arsenio Hall show. So that was a, a big time show, I believe in the, in the 90s, maybe even stretched back to the 80s. And so Macho Man Randy Savage is is on the set and he's got his you know full get up. This was right in the snap into a Slim Jim like era of, of his career and all those different things. And um, it's one of those things that I was thinking he was just going to be crazy and kind of cut a crazy promo because that was kind of his thing. But man, there, there was some great nuggets that he gave us in a less than a minute clip. So let's get to the clip here. Okay, your 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 middle name is Macho, but uh, I'm wondering if you ever cry. You ever has a Macho Man ever cried? Oh yeah, really? Uh huh. It's okay for Macho Men to show every emotion available, right there. You know, because I've cried a thousand times, I'm gonna cry some more. But. I've soared with the eagles, and I've slithered with the snakes, and I've been everywhere in between. And I'm going to tell you something right now. There's one guarantee in life, and that there are no guarantees. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I understand this. <laughs> yeah. Nobody likes a quitter. Nobody said life was easy. So if you get knocked down, take the standing eight count, get back up, and fight again. And you're a macho maniac. Dig it. I mean, I absolutely love that. I mean, that was great. I remember just thinking to myself, huh, how about that? Macho Man Randy Savage. So again, he's talking about crying and he's talking about all those different things. So I want to pull one quote out there and then, then we'll kind of wrap up. So this was a quote. Nobody likes a quitter. Nobody said life was easy. So if you get knocked down, take the standing eight count, get back up and fight again. Okay. Now I would have done it in his voice, but I can't do too much of that. I had a little bit of Fauci in me today, but I'm not trying to be hoarse for the rest of the week. So here's my big takeaway on this story. So it, it may seem like a stretch, but it's definitely not. Don't take stoic Christian manhood too far. So from the very beginning of the podcast, I quoted Jesus wept. Okay. So Jesus, if, if you are a Christian, you believe that Jesus was not only a good man, that he was a perfect man that he was the best man possible. And if you listen to my How to Build a Godly and Manly Foxhole series from last summer, if you haven't listened to it, what's wrong with you? But if you have listened to it, you heard me obviously talk about that, that if you were to go up to people in the street and ask them, who, who are the greatest men that you know of? So it could be someone you know personally, a family member. It could be somebody that you've read about from history. Um, you know, in the examples I threw out, maybe it's your mom or sorry, mom, maybe it's your dad or your uncle or your brother, the best example of a man, you know, maybe it's George Washington or Theodore Roosevelt. Like maybe it's a modern example. So maybe you're looking at a guy like Tim Kennedy or Cam Haynes or Jocko Willink or one of those guys like, and, and th that's your people, right? Like that's what a man is. And so that's what, that's what I want to be someday. That's what I want my sons to be someday. And I'm not saying those aren't guys that you should look to. I think there's a lot of lessons that you can glean from those guys. But I think we would all admit, and they would have all admitted, whether alive or dead, that they're not perfect. Now, they made some significant mistakes. One of the biggest reasons why I like Tim Kennedy's book is because he talked about all these horrifically bad things that he did throughout his entire life. So he was very, very open about that. But I do have to reckon with this sometimes because people, whenever I'm interviewed on shows, they always like to liken me to Mark Driscoll, which is fine by me. I don't really care about that, but it's about the pendulum swinging too far to the tough guy, four wheel drive, beer drinking, beef jerky, eating Christian man, right? Never cries, never shows emotion and all that. And the thing is, as I've said over and over, and I will say again now, that is caricature masculinity. As my good buddy, Joby Martin, Pastor Joby Martin said, all those things that you listed, you know, throw in college football, throw in, you know, fighting and training jujitsu and drinking whiskey. Those things don't make you a man. They make you awesome, but they don't make you a man. Right. And I believe that. But I think that there are men out there that are taking this stoic Christian manhood thing, which I co-sign and think is a great thing. They do take it too far. 
that they don't deal with the emotions that are inside of them and they don't express themselves in a way that is healthy or positive, right? So they would much rather bottle up all their emotions than to ever cry. They would much rather bottle up all their emotions or, or, you know, have some sort of bad and negative thing uh, that they do in their life as opposed to just talking to somebody about why they're feeling the way that they feel. Some men go all the way to where they eventually take their own life because they can't find another way to deal with whatever plight or pressure that they're feeling. Okay. So Jesus is our ultimate example of manhood and what being a great man is. And he wept. He cared deeply. He, he cared about his friends. He cared deeply about his family. And he expressed those emotions to include anger, to include stoicism, to include sarcasm, which not everyone's a huge fan of. He, he did all those things. If you read through the gospel and read it with a little bit of color, right, and a little bit of vigor and a little bit of personality, you get all that from the man of Jesus. That's what John Eldridge pointed out in his book, uh, The Beautiful Outlaw. And so my encouragement to all of you guys as we sign off today is you should be stoic. You should be able to control your emotions. You should be meeked. You should be able to have a tremendous amount of power within you, spiritually, mentally, and physically, that you have under voluntary control or under the control of the Father to be unleashed when he thinks it should be unleashed. I think all that, I, I think that all that is incredibly, incredibly positive. Okay? But don't go too far. Don't be the lone wolf guy. Don't be the guy that doesn't need anything. Don't be the guy that is just constantly pulling himself up by his bootstraps and not asking for help. Don't be the guy that is not serving or being served inside of the local church. Don't do any of that. Because, in the words of Macho Man Randy Savage, nobody likes a quitter. Nobody said life was easy. So if you get knocked down, take the standing eight count, get back up and fight again. And guys, sometimes the trajectory of that is that you got to let your guard down a little bit. You got to cry a little bit. You got to lean on a friend. You got to lean on your foxhole. You got to lean on your wife. And that's all good. It'll make you stronger. It'll make you better. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a link to our 100 books every modern Christian man should read list. And then all the other links are from the stuff that I talked about during this entire episode. So I hope you guys enjoy it. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five star review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. It's awesome, isn't it? The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.